0: Hi, and welcome to the CXCast, where we talk about all things experience. I'm your host, Adele Sage, joined as always by Angelina Jenis. Hi, Angelina. Hello. We have a special guest today to continue our mini-series that we're doing on diversity, equity, and inclusion. We're joined today by Maxi Schmidt, who's a VP and Principal Analyst on the Customer Experience Research Team. The question we're asking is, how do you identify that you have these biases by looking at your data. So we talked to Gina already, and we heard about how important it is to design experiences the right way. And so now we're following up with this conversation with Maxi. So welcome, Maxi, we're excited to have you. Thank
1: you, thank you very much.
0: So let's dig into this question. H- how do you figure it out?
1: If you want to have inclusive experiences, you need to find out if they are inclusive, right? And it seems like data from a measurement program versus customer program would be a great way to go. But, and this is, um, you can call the major plot twist. <laughs> the data that we collect in our measurement and versus of customer programs is usually not all that helpful to uncover these biases because the data itself is incredibly biased. Just think about the fact that 89% of CX pros we had recently in our survey on customer experience measurement programs. So 89% of these CX pros say that their programs rely on email surveys. Now, that introduces a major age bias, for example, right? It introduces a bias towards people who do not have any physical or mental challenges that would prevent them from filling out an email survey. So you can see how the way that we collect data in a voice of customer or customer experience measurement program is actually not useful to figure out these biases because the data itself is biased.
0: So are there any biases that you can use the data that you have to help you find?
1: Yeah. So for example, when you have data, you can, of course, cut survey responses or look at open comments, which are two of the most common sources that people use. You can cut this data by, by age, by income, by region. Sometimes you get uh, from a zip code, right? You might, for example, get some sense of in what kind of communities people are living in. You can do that. But already that requires you to have a lot of information about customers from your customer profile data that you then need to be able to bring into the survey to be able to cut your survey data. So what is the E-score for somebody who lives in Rochester uh, versus the E-score for somebody who lives in Westchester, like one community being normal, one community being super, super rich, right? So that is something that you can do with the data you have, but you're leaving people out, right? So you're leaving people out who are not responding to your surveys. And that's why I've been advocating, not, that's not the only reason, but that's one of the reasons I've been advocating to expand the kind of data that you use for an inverse customer or measurement program. So for example, if you were to look at a call center interactions, if you take a survey, you get at what, 5% of people that actually call, you get only those people who are willing to do an email survey that have a computer that has the time because they don't have three jobs and so on and so on, right? If you were to look at the transcripts and the recordings of these calls, you now have a representation of 100%. Let's make it 80%, if not all the recordings are good, but of 80% of the people who have called you. So you get a much better sense of what people across the whole spectrum think. You still need to have a customer profile data to know what those people are and where they're from, right? But that's, that's the one thing that might make sense in that case is that you expand the data to include more interaction data as opposed to just surveys.
2: There's a great analogy right now during the pandemic because states like West Virginia are realizing that a hotline is still the most effective way to answer questions about COVID and to get people signed up for vaccines, schedule vaccines. It's really no different when we think about how the government is figuring out vaccine scheduling and how we figure out how to reach people on what channels and how to understand what their experience is.
1: Right, exactly, go where people are having the experiences, look at what the experiences look like, how they feel and taste and sound, and then use that data in your measurement program. That gives you a much better chance of, of understanding. For example, there might be somebody who, who calls in who says that, I, I can't, can you please speak more slowly? I can't understand what you're saying. I've already tried to find this out on the website. I've had an accident, I, I, I my, my, my brain isn't working. This is terrible, right? You can find these things. You would never find these things in the survey. And on the back end, of course, it's also much more interesting and impactful if you shared a recording of this kind of call, obviously only if it's uh, legally and uh, privacy-wise allowed. But you get get more
0: data and you get much more impactful um, data to share. What I'm thinking about is there was a, a podcast episode, I believe it was very early on, like maybe episode 14, where you talked about beyond surveys, the future of measurement, And this seems like a good opportunity to review what some of those are. So for people listening who are committed to broadening the way that they're collecting feedback, what are some of the concrete things that they should be doing differently?
1: Yes. So I'm going to think about this depending on the kind of level of measurement, okay? So one level of measurement is I measure after a call, after a website visit, after a store visit, how good the experience was. My transactional measurement is what most people call this. The opposite uh, level is relationship. I measure once a year how happy you are with being a customer of whatever company. At the transactional level, there's lots of ways that go we'll beyond surveys. I just talked about call recordings, call transcripts, and I think technology has caught up since we talked in episode 14. <laughs> there are no vendors that can tell you when calls are frustrating, and they can tell you what kind of emotions people have, which is really interesting. And we also also know uh, from last, for example, uh, last summer at Customer Experience North America, TS Energy from Cox Communication talked about how he is using sentiment scoring in the call center to help understand the quality of a call and to help coaching of agents. Digitally, the same thing applies. There is now technology out there that helps you understand frustrating digital experiences based on how a mouse gets moved, how somebody zooms and scrolls, how they throw their mouse. That was, that was a joke. Uh, people don't throw their mice. I mean, they do, but you can't measure that. But all of this kind of data that you collect in the digital interactions. When it comes to the opposite level, the relationship level, that's quite hard because you very often don't have the data that you can use as proxies, right? But on a call, you can say there was a lot of non-interaction time, there was a lot of over-talking, there somebody interrupted the other person, there were a lot of swear words used. Oh, probably a bad call. A digital, same thing, right? But for the relationship, often we lack the kind of data. So if you want to go beyond surveys, I suggest to start at that transactional level to try to replace transactional surveys for phone calls and for digital experiences specifically. With a bit more maturity, you can take to a journey level. That journey level is between relationship and touchpoint uh, experience, or transactional experience. And there are some companies doing really exciting things using journey analytics providers, understanding the quality of a call, and then the impact that it has on a later part of the journey, for example.
0: So are there any companies you're seeing doing this well? I mean, maybe even applying it already to diversity and inclusion.
1: This is interesting to me as we talked about our conversation is that I don't get that question at all from people. I get often the request that people want to be better at understanding the overall experiences, which I think has a diversity and inclusion angle to it because they're trying to understand the experience of more customers. They're trying to combat their low response rates. But I don't think that people are yet thinking about it in terms of inclusion which I think is a huge opportunity. It's a huge opportunity to explain why it's the right thing to do to go beyond surveys because surveys are not inclusive enough. So for those people who haven't yet been able to make a case for going beyond surveys to measure customer experience, if they work in a company that cares about diversity and inclusion, this could actually be a huge game changer in how you make that argument, why it makes sense to analyze the data from calls, analyze the data from digital experiences or from journeys in order to get more broad feedback and data about customer experiences.
0: So when you suddenly get an influx of calls, you'll know it's because of this incredible podcast, right?
1: (laughs) (laughs) I hope people will start to ask me about this seriously, because it's a, I think it's something that we as people in customer experience are naturally drawn to, but naturally people who like justice and uh, fairness, we just need to remind ourselves uh, that this is something we can actively uh, embrace and actively even, even use, if, if
0: I say this in a in a a bit of a silly manner here. But I think also we want to understand customers. That's why we're running these VOC programs and we want to understand them authentically, right? So doing this kind of work to make sure that we're really looking at the full customer base is important and I think will make our work that much more fulfilling.
1: Exactly, and back to Gina's point, this experience is really great for people who have challenges, be it physical or mental challenges. Chances are that we're creating better experiences for everybody. Mm-hmm. Or related to them, not just all the other people with the same challenges, but everybody who now gets to have an easier experience. Which, Angelina, goes back to your notion about the vaccine, right? Yes, if 80-year-olds can schedule their vaccine, then chances are 50-year-olds can too. And I'm not being ages now, but we see that the challenges with using. Just a link definitely are way beyond. There are people who in their 50s who have the same challenges, maybe because they hold down three jobs and have three kids at home or because they have other challenges, right? The idea that we can understand more fully is, is really quite exciting.
0: We talked to Gina about designing experiences in the first place that are inclusive. How do you use your data to know that it's working?
1: And I think that's where we might have to rethink this idea of using data and even big data, because the people who we're not including might be certain shares of our customer base. So how do we elevate feedback from people that we want to include to a place where we can see it, as opposed to burying it in the mass of feedback that we get, which means we need to analyze this data more deeply, we need to cut data down, we need to say, simple things like we've had an increase of negative comments from a population we're really trying to include and then take that as an action item as opposed to saying yeah so our nps score hasn't changed so we don't care which means really we need to get much more granular on our measurement but here the typical thing that always happens with measurement happens that when people are now being asked can they use the data to figure out whether they're actually making inclusive experiences They have to actually have thought about who they want to include and how, because you can't measure unless you know that. And I'm going to put it to you that most people haven't thought that far. I don't mean this in an offensive way, but it's just that often when we talk about measurement, we find that people aren't quite sure what it is really that they're looking for. So who are these groups you want to include? Because if you want to reach them, you need to first define who they are, right? If you do your design work well with Gina's help, then you're probably a step further. But potentially your ability, your inability to use data to find these groups and what their experiences are like might lead you to the bigger conclusion that you haven't really defined these groups well yet.
0: And that's why you can't find them. Angelina, is your your head exploding as mine is at the moment? Yeah.
2: Well, I was just thinking a lot of people feel like there's too many groups and they're trying to prioritize who they deem most important to the business. And then that ends up leaving out people. So. It's just interesting to think about how to strike a balance there.
1: The way to do that is that, for example, you, you say that in the first six months of this year, we're going to focus on this segment of highly valuable customers and on this other group of customers that we want to include. You don't need to do this for all the customers at all times, right? That's the first thing, if you have to do a lot of manual data analysis, if you have programs in place that can give you patterns though, anomaly detection, for example, in transcripts of calls, for example, in kind of open comments. Then you can also say, hey, we are having certain groups that we tag, we just tag them as a matter of course in our customer database. And if we see certain feedback patterns emerge from these groups that we haven't seen before, we pay attention to them, right? So it depends on how manual or how automated your measurement is and whether you have these pattern detection or not. But Angelina, that still means that you might have 50 patterns that come up in one month. And then we go back to having to decide who you're focusing on.
2: Well, makes a lot of sense. Thanks, Maxi. We've got a lot to think about. Really appreciate having you join us.
1: Please, if anybody has thoughts or ideas, uh, feel free to come back to us. We'd love to hear your diversity and inclusion efforts on when it comes to measurement and feedback.
2: Yeah. And if you are trying to reach us, you can always email us at CXCast at Thanks for joining another episode of the CXCast. Until next week. Bye for now.